Mindfulness Mode, Episode 22. So much of how we interact with our partners is based on the stories that we're telling ourselves in our mind. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have spaces in my calendar to coach two new mindfulness clients who are looking for focus and calm in their lives. If you'd like to qualify for a spot, I'm opening up free 10-minute time slots for the first five people who email me at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Put focus in the subject line. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Neil Satin on the line today. Hey, Neil, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm checking in with myself, and I sense that I am. Great. Neil Satin is a relationship expert and loves helping people just like you have fun, deep, meaningful relationships that matter. Neil loves to feed his curiosity about people and understands how complex relationships can be. Neil has been trained in strategic intervention through the Robbins Madonna's Institute and completed a training in source point therapy. Neil has a thorough understanding of the corporate environment, having been involved in the corporate world for 15 years. Neil is also a podcaster. His show is called Relationship Alive. Neil and his partner are working on a new project called thenewloveparadigm.com. Okay, Neil, can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening in your life right now? Sure. Well, you covered it pretty well. I have been really focused on the podcast that you mentioned, Relationship Alive, where I'm talking to world experts in the field of relationships, sex, communication, uh, and it's a, it's a show that's all focused on how to have amazing relationships or how to find an amazing relationship. Um, and then the, the project that I'm working on with my partner, Chloe, The New Love Paradigm, we're actually working on a book that's focused on helping couples who are affected by some form of sexual trauma deepen their intimacy and, and get a more solid connection with each other and get over the obstacles that that sexual trauma in particular can present when you're in a romantic partnership. Um, and then we also do uh, work with couples as well, just around deepening intimacy and, um, and how to do love in a new way where it's, it's more about being present, being present with each other and living up to the modern day expectations of what we ask of our partners in relationship because that has shifted so much in the past 50 years. So it's all about how to be really present for each other and really grow and grow together as well as being fully yourself and, and on your path of self-discovery and, and enjoying life. Well, it sounds really exciting what you're working on and I'm totally interested. And, you know, I can't think of an area where mindfulness is more important than in personal, intimate relationships and sex. You're sharing with people about how to create that that in the moment if they don't already have it. But I'm fascinated to learn, Neil, about when you became interested in this and how that transpired. When did you know that you wanted to be a relationship coach and that mindfulness would be a, a big part of it? Well, 
It's funny, my work with relationships, with human relationships, actually started with work that I was doing with people and their dogs, where I learned this really obscure form of dog training called natural dog training that's all about how dogs' behavior is affected by their emotions. And in particular, because dogs are so tuned in to their owners, I quickly had to start working with people and their emotions. And for most people, their relationships, and and in particular, their relationships with their significant other, um, also their work relationships, those have the biggest impact on their level of stress, happiness, uh, anger, um, all these really strong, powerful emotions that would have an impact on what was going on with their dog. So I got really curious and... And it turns out that working with dogs is really easy, but working with people can be a lot more complicated. So that was where my um, where I started to get explicit training in how to work with people. I had done work in uh, Gestalt psychology in college and learned how to run encounter groups and things like that. But I wanted to take it to another level and really expand what was possible for me in working with people. And and it turns out that that was where my heart really. Um, was. It was really in doing the people work. So that became where my attention was focused. And in terms of bringing mindfulness to that work, uh, that's also been something that's really been important to me for a long time, actually from a very young age. And, uh, And I'm always reminded, it's interesting, over the course of life, there have been opportunities where it's come back around even though it was something that was naturally a part of me, um, at the same time, I would be reminded, oh, yeah, this is a perfect opportunity to bring that kind of uh, presence to this moment. So um, so it was, na- it was a natural combination for me. And at the same time, like anyone, and this is, this is a lot of the work that I do with people, like anyone, I would be particularly in relationship, caught up in a moment and, and in, for my own relationship in my own life. And, and, you know, I could be triggered or I could be distracted, like you were mentioning earlier. And I can't remember a specific moment, but there would be this light bulb that would go on of like, oh, wait a minute, like, I'm not, I'm not actually here right now. So how can I get here? And, um, so that's become a lot of also how I help couples because so much of how we interact with our partners is based on the stories that we're telling ourselves in our mind about what our, what we think our partner's experience of us is or what's going on for them or, or even our story about what's going on with us. Cause we might think, oh, I'm really angry right now. But if you really took a moment to check in, you'd find out you were, actually not angry, that you just were experiencing energy of some sort. So, um, so anyway, there are always opportunities um, in the context of interacting with a partner where bringing yourself into the moment and allowing yourself to really tune into what's happening with your body um, can actually lead to much more positive and uh, harmonious interactions with your partner, even if you're expressing something that you're unhappy about or dissatisfied about, um, bringing that sort of mindfulness 
to those moments can can help you address those concerns in a way that's really constructive. Right. And so when you work with couples or even individuals, how much of that time that you're working with them do you think would be focused on mindfulness and being in the moment? Most of the time, actually. (laughs) It makes sense to me. It really does. I mean, even just on the simple level of... um, you know, there are so many ways to practice mindfulness. Yes. And so the simple level of having partners check in with each other, echo back, like, what did you actually hear your partner just say? And then have the other partner, is that true? That what did they hear you correctly? Even that practice, um, which is loosely based on Imago therapy, um, that is really centering and bringing people into the moment. Um, but then it can also expand into the ways that we use our breath, whether it's breathing together or being centered in your, in your own breathing. And that can be in conversation or, as you mentioned at the very beginning, that can be in during sex or other intimate moments. Um, so it's, yeah, it's pretty key. It's a key component, right. um, because you have to be aware of your own experience in order to really relate with another person. Right. Well, it's so interesting to me because as a relationship coach, I would imagine that a lot of the people who come to you are having challenges, certainly in their relationships, but a lot of times challenges in their sex lives. And so I'm just wondering what some of those other components are besides mindfulness, because the mindfulness component to me is obvious. What are some of the other components? Well, that is a really large conversation. (laughs) Of course it is. Um, But um, yeah, well, what's interesting about sex is that it, it is really like a a great bellwether. And a lot of people come to me because they're having issues around sex and that Mm -hmm. could be mismatched desire. It could be that one or the other person has um, had to deal with sexual trauma in the past and that that's having an effect on their present ability to be sexual with their partner or or their partner is having trouble figuring out how to negotiate that, how to navigate that with um, with their survivor partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the thing is that people come to me to talk about sex a lot of the time, but it's really just an indicator of bigger problems that are going on that are about really getting to know who you are and getting to see what your... Um, what your patterns of behavior are, whether they're your patterns of codependence or, or the way that you polarize with your partner where, you know, one person always wants sex and the other person never does, even though that's probably not really true if, if the partners were able to step back from that dynamic. Often we do polarize like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be around sex. It could be, you know, one person always cooks and the other person never does and and that can create inequities in a relationship when it's when it's not something that's part of your commitment to each other so um so a lot of what i'm having people do is step back and really examine who they are why they're even in relationship and um and and really get clear on what they're bringing to relationship. And mindfulness comes in every step of the way because you need to be able to 
you might, again, have your ideas about what you're bringing to relationship. But then in the moment with your partner, you check in and you find out that your idea actually isn't true or that you're trapped in your idea. And actually being mindful in that moment opens you up to totally different possibilities. Right. Can you share a story, Neil, about a situation where you you were coaching someone who came to you and they just had no idea of the present moment at all. They were not in the present moment and they didn't understand what that meant or what mindfulness meant. And then after working with them, you reached the point where it was like a light coming on and they totally got it. And it was a whole piece where mindfulness made a huge, huge difference. Do you have a story like that? That's interesting because most people, when I start talking about it, they're all, as you know from your show, there are all kinds of ways to talk about mindfulness, yes. whether it be presence or um, or using the word mindfulness or checking in or, you know, all these different ways. So I, yes. I try to tune into how the person that I'm working with is perceiving the world and and then see if I can bring a, a way of talking about mindfulness that makes sense to them. And yes. usually when I find that, they're like, oh, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. Okay. What's What I think is challenging for people is to bring that. And, and this is like, this is the whole thing with mindfulness, right? It's like, it's great when you're sitting alone in your room, um, should you be lucky enough to have those moments in your life. And, you know, you're just whatever, meditating or some people chant or, you know, there are all kinds of ways sure. to experience mindfulness. But the challenging thing is in those moments when things get heated or, you know, this, since this is what we're talking about, you're naked in bed with your partner mm -hmm. and, and it's remembering in those moments. Now, the work that I do, at least at this point, I'm not in people's bedrooms with them. So there's, so there's a lot of rehearsal that goes on in, um, in helping people realize, oh, this is a moment that I could use that thing that I actually know a lot about. Um, but I'm, but bringing it to this moment. Um, so I'd like to, if I can just offer an example from my own life. Yes, sure. Um, and you know, my partner and I, the reason that we're writing our book about, um, helping partners with intimacy, particularly where one or the other has been affected by sexual trauma is because that's something that we ourselves are, are dealing with in our relationship. And um, so initially before we really clued into what was happening with us, there could be moments where one or the other of us in the bedroom would, would check out. And for people who have been through trauma, they can literally like disassociate so that they're just, they're, they're off somewhere else. And, and what's interesting in sex is that we can be so habitual about it. Like, you know, you, you go through these sequences of like getting turned on, getting your partner turned on, like assuming that you can even get to that point. Right. And suddenly you're having sex and that can be for some people somewhat mechanical. Um, and so, so there's like a whole practice of sex that's around removing yourself from from that paradigm and not being so goal focused, not being orgasm driven so that you're, so that in and of itself really pulls you into the moment. But, um, 
but so with my partner, I would realize like, oh man, like she's totally checking out. Or for instance, here, here's a better example, because this has to do with me where, um, you know, maybe I would try to initiate sex and I wouldn't be met with a receptive partner. And then I would, you know, before I really clued into what was going on, I would be off on my story of like, wow, she, I think she's rejecting me or she must not really desire me or there must be something wrong with me or what's wrong with her that she doesn't want to have sex right now. Here we are, we're in bed, we're naked, et cetera, right? Right. I mean, we were just kissing a moment ago. Like, doesn't that mean sex, you know? <laughs> yes. And um, so so suddenly I, I was actually um, experimenting at the time with this particular form of mindfulness that's all focused around heart-centered breathing and um, working on heart rate variability. And um, so I don't know if that's something that you've talked about on your show before. No, we really haven't talked a lot about that. Well, um, in brief, the the idea is that you, through, through this particular heart-centered breathing technique, you can actually affect your heart rate variability um, which allows you to handle stress much more easily. And so in terms of your heart rate, what goes on is the, um, it's actually like the frequency of heartbeats, like they measure the frequency of your heartbeats and between heartbeats. And the more variable that is, the more there are little differences, yes. then the more you're actually able to handle stress in your life. Right. And okay. the more stressed that you become, the more rigid that pattern of your heartbeat comes. So when there's not a lot of variability in your heart rate, then that probably means you're under stress already. And certainly once you're under stress, your capacity to handle stress or, or difficult emotions um, goes way down. So where are you definitely likely to, um, to experience tough emotions. Like you're in the bedroom, you're naked with your partner and you, you think that maybe you're about to be sexual and then you perceive that your partner is rejecting you or they're gone or whatever it is. Um, that's definitely a moment where really challenging emotions can come up for most people. I want to get really personal here. How do you use mindfulness in your own personal life? I know you've alluded to it already, but can you can you tell us how you use it? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm using it all the time. I'm I'm a father, so I have two young children at the time of this recording. They are um, six and eight, and so they give me all kinds of opportunities to just get present and show up for them. And for me, I think the way that I'm mostly using mindfulness has to do with um, two things. One would be when I feel tough emotions come through my body and my own recognition that when that's happening, I don't tend to operate at my most effective. I don't tend to be as caring as I could be or as compassionate. So, so I've seen that in myself. I've made a lot of mistakes in that regard. And, um, so I'm bringing 
mindfulness now to those moments because I've done a lot of work to recognize that when it's happening right in the moment. And so that could be in the moment with, with my kids, in the moment with Chloe, my partner, in the moment with my ex-wife, in, you yes. know, in the moment with my parents who are both still alive. You know, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of, it's very relational. Sure. And, and then, um, I also use mindfulness a lot, um, because I just really appreciate being alive and the gift of being a human being on this planet at this time. Um, and so for me, when I have, there, there are other moments where I like to just bring mindfulness to whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and for me, that's often a, just a practice of gratitude and really experiencing the magic of life, even when it's really, really challenging. Um, and especially when it's, it's magical and joyful. Neil, you're so eloquent with your explanation of how you use mindfulness. I really appreciate that. I want to know, Neil, if there was ever a time when you felt like mindfulness was not working for you and you were frustrated with it. It's not always effective. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sometimes, so for me, you know, especially in in those challenging moments, um, sometimes like I'm just really angry or really fearful and, and sometimes there's just like this, like, and, and it's actually funny because I think as, just like expanding your definition of intimacy, mm-hmm. I think as you expand your definition of mindfulness, you know, if I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm experiencing, like, I'm so scared right now. I'm scared because, you know, I'm, well, for whatever reason, like maybe someone cut me off or um, or, or someone just said something that insulted my ability to parent my children, let's say, cause that can happen yes. all the time. You're at the playground yes. and someone makes some comment about your kids and, you know, you can collapse into like anger and right. fear, like maybe I am a bad parent or, you know, whatever it is. Yes. And, um, so when things are really coursing through my veins, that's not always the best time for me to do heart-centered breathing or, you know, some of these things that I'm talking about. So like, so there's a different, there are different kinds of practices. And so in that moment, the mindfulness is really just like awareness of like, oh, this is happening for me. Like, wow, I can, I feel this happening. And then the actual practices may be more physical in that moment where I'm, where I'm literally giving my body the opportunity to just like move through whatever state it is in. Um, and then, and then I can come back to a place where it's, where I'm a little bit more regulated in terms of how I'm interacting. Yes. So mindful tribe, I hope you really listen to what Neil has said about these challenges, because, you know, it's easy to listen to someone like Neil and it just feels like, you know, mindfulness just makes everything perfect and it's amazing. And it is. It really is amazing, but there are times and we all have to realize that and not be hard on ourselves if we feel like it's not working. Now, I want to talk about discipline, Neil, and Mindful Tribe, I often get comments and and emails and messages about, you know, I just don't have the discipline to do mindfulness. What's your comment on that? If someone said that to me, I just don't have the discipline to do that. 
then the first thing I might do is help them identify the things in their life that they do have discipline to do. So they may always, I mean, most people, well, here's just like a crude example. Like everyone has to go to the bathroom at some point during the day. Yes. So it's like, that's something that you do. And, and you probably learned to actually go to the bathroom versus just like, you know, peeing in your pants or whatever. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is what came to me. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so there's a perfect moment. You find yourself in the bathroom. And now that we've had this conversation, probably everyone who's listening to this episode, every time they're going to go to the bathroom, they're going to be like, wow, this is actually an opportunity for me to practice some sort of mindfulness right now. <laughs> so, um, so I think for what I'm really saying is that there are even for someone who doesn't think they're disciplined enough to be mindful, whatever that means for them, mm -hmm. um, they probably do experience the discipline to be able to do other things in their lives. And so, so it's, it can be helpful to make that association of like, oh, well, I'm doing this other thing that I'm disciplined about. So I'm just going to pair that with my mindfulness practice. Ah. And then the other thing is really helping people again, expand their definition of what is mindful. Because for some people, like Chloe, for instance, my partner, hopefully she won't mind my revealing this, but she is not the kind of person who's going to just sit there and breathe. That is not what she does. However, for her to put on music and dance for five minutes, that's like, that's her world. You know, that right. would be perfect for her. And that brings her yes. into a centered, embodied state where she's more in touch with what she's doing. So, so for some people that may also be saying, you know, like, okay, this doesn't work for you. Let's, let's explore some other possibilities that are going to help you be embodied, help you relax your nervous system, um, in ways that might actually serve you. It can be really hard to do anything if you're just relying on discipline and willpower to do it. So the key is really to make it a habit. So I think that's really getting at the heart of what I was saying is, Pick other things in your life that are habits for you and hopefully positive habits, not your negative habits. Start with your positive habits and then you can bring mindfulness to that to help make mindfulness more habitual. And then you might bring mindfulness to your negative habits because it may help you. Most of us don't want our negative habits. And then the, the idea at that point is um, allowing mindfulness to help you um, because whatever you're doing, that's a negative habit is probably the product of, um, trying to distract yourself from, from some tough feeling. So bringing mindfulness to those moments gives you the opportunity to really address what's going on before you dive into a negative habit. Right. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, that is helpful. Well, that is a really interesting way to explain discipline, and I really appreciate it, Neil. I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I'm wondering if you have a story that involves either a child or adult that has to do with bullying. You know, because this is about relationships, mm -hmm. I, what occurs to me is to just talk about how there is this capacity in relationship to really want to control your partner. And that to me is a form of bullying, yes. you know, where you're not letting the other person be who they are. And, um, and so there are so many moments where you may think um, like you want your, I mean, it could be something as ridiculous as you want the dishes done a certain way. Like, could you just like, 
you know, could you actually wash them with soap before you put them in the dishwasher? I mean, some people actually do that, right? Yes, sure. And, um, and so all these ways, they're real, they're real subtle ways of us trying to get our needs met through controlling our partner's behavior. You know, you have fear about something. And so you put a restriction on your partner. Could you, could you always call me before you go to the gym? Cause I want to know that where you are, you know, whatever it is like, um, so, so to me, these are subtle forms of bullying my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just very short, very quick 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? I would say my father has influenced it the most. So, um, so yeah, he, he's been really influential in my life. Not because he himself practices mindfulness, although maybe he does. I don't know. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I wouldn't say that it's really affected my emotions, but what it has affected is my experience of my emotions so that they have much less power over me when things aren't going well um, to now that I'm more uh, apt to bring mindfulness to those moments, then I'm able to really just experience an emotion and either indulge it when it makes sense or just let it move through me when it doesn't. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Well, it's integral to the way that I personally practice mindfulness. And in terms of the heart-centered breathing that I mentioned earlier, a really quick description of that is that you breathe in and visualize breathing into your heart on it for a count of five and then exhaling for a count of five. So it's really slowing down your breath. Can you recommend a book on mindfulness? Sure. Two books, actually. I would recommend The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Mm -hmm. And I would also recommend The Heart of Zen, which is by Dennis Kelly. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful? Yeah. So I use an app called Inner Balance, which is put out by the HeartMath company. And, um, so a lot of the work that I do with people that's around heart centered breathing, um, you can use that app. It's connected to a device that actually is measuring your heart rate variability. And it's great for, um, not only getting into a mindful state, but also seeing the effect that it's having on your physiology. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? I would say that, wow, I'm just so excited for you and because so many new doors are going to open for you now that you're in this practice. And I would say to just get curious and really just be observant of how mindfulness is affecting them. Tell us how Mindful Tribe can contact you and learn more about what you do, Neil. Well, you can... Find me on the web at neilsatin.com. That's N-E-I-L-S-A-T-T-I-N.com. And you can also find my podcast, Relationship Alive, on iTunes or Stitcher. And also we mentioned the site that I have with my partner, Chloe, uh, which is thenewloveparadigm.com. 
Neil, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. I mean, you you just have such a deep knowledge about this topic and you know that both the topic of relationships and the topic of mindfulness and so it's it's a great pleasure to have you on the show and I thank you so much for that and I just want to wish you all the best. Thanks again, Neil. Thank you. It's been so such a pleasure to be here with you. Great. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.